0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: Good morning, church. How are you all going? Well, good. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm James. I'm one of the young adult leaders here at Verdun, and I'm involved with a local Church plant, which is awesome. This morning, Julian, Caleb, and I have got the privilege of preaching from the book of Acts. Uh, the book of the eighth chapter is really, it's quite full of a lot of stuff, so we've got a lot to cover, but it'll be good, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's full of how the Holy Spirit transforms us and what that actually looks like. Uh, yeah, it's been quite quite fun the past six weeks, I think, so yeah. But before I read my passage, I thought I wanted um, you all just a picture a time in your life when you had real pain or trouble in a situation, whatever that might be, but it turned out for good, it turned out for something good. And your character and your faith was strengthened because of it. I'm saying this just because it's gonna be easy to picture the story as we kind of dive into the chapter and what God has, us, has for us there. So just have that brewing in the back of your mind as I begin. So let's turn to Acts chapter eight, verses one to eight. And I'm reading from the NIV. <clears throat> On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So to begin with in chapter 8, we need to understand a bit of the context of where we're jumping into. Uh, so Stephen has just been stoned by the Sanhedrin. Uh, Paul, or Saul, who was later to become Paul, approves of this execution and a... Uh, An eruption of persecution kind of falls upon the newly founded church. Things seem really horrible and quite morbid at the start. Uh, It's quite interesting. Uh, But try try picture what it was like for these Christians as well. They've just, you know, accepted Christ. It would be quite new for them. And then suddenly there's this persecution um, and trouble. So these people would have fled for their lives. They would have left everything in order to kind of save themselves, because it did say they were fleeing and and Saul was going from house to house. So it was quite a heavy persecution. And you can imagine them leaving family and friends like their entire lifestyles would have been upturned because of this persecution. Uh, It's easy for us to wonder why God would allow such opposition to come upon his people, especially those he'd given to preach the word. Um, That is unless we recognize that God was not surprised by this persecution. And neither were the followers of Jesus, in fact. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10:22, You'll be hated by everyone because of my name. So Jesus made it known to his disciples throughout his ministry that persecution would come. This is not unexpected. That doesn't mean it was easy. It was probably far from easy. But God knew what he was doing because he'd already given his spirit to his church. So he knew his persecution would ultimately serve his purpose. But what happens after these people flee? As we see in verse 4 to 6, God had planned it out. What the devil wanted to use for evil, God used for good. My original expectations before reading on were that the Christians might sort of wait, you know, political tensions would die down, and then they would kind of step up again and proclaim the gospel. But we see that's um, not what happens. It's interesting. Instead, the Holy Spirit puts in these people a desire to do one thing. And what is that? Verse 4 says, they preached the word wherever they went. It instantly reminds me of something Jesus said. Let's turn to Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can you see that the Great Commission is actually being fulfilled in this great persecution? In this severe persecution and tribulation, God had a plan to spread the gospel. It's quite amazing. It's quite special. Like this is the whole point of the persecution. If it didn't happen, we wouldn't see the gospel proclaimed. So in that pain and that suffering, God had a different plan. So he was using this for his glory. I also wanted to mention that Philip joins these Christians by going to Samaria. Some translations say "city of Samaria," but what we know is that it was these Christians were with Samaritans, which is another incredible thing. Uh, as many of you may know, the Samaritans and the Jews really did not get along. There've been bitter tensions for I think over a thousand years. They go all the way back to the patriarchs. So Jacob's sons is when that sort of started that rivalry. Yet what astonishes me is that the first people groups to receive the gospel is the enemies of God's people, which is fascinating if you think about it. And I wanna ask the question, why? Like, why is that, why is that? It's because God is a God of reconciliation. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, if you're all one in Christ Jesus. He brings, he brings people together and restores what once was bitter and evil to becoming full of his presence. The first few years of my childhood were spent on a very remote Aboriginal community in the Northern Territory. Elk uh, Island, was it was called. It's about 500 kilometres east of Darwin for perspective. Anyway, in the late 70s, well before I was there, clearly, uh, there began in that area one of the, um, a great revival of the spirit. And one of the first things that happened was that the Ballander people, or the white people, um, got along. And there was a spiritual unity with the Aboriginals and the locals there. So they grew this spiritual unity that had not existed prior. So we see God's Spirit, it quite often reconciles and restores what like, was once broken before anything else can sort of take place. Yeah, so we should see by now that God is clearly at work in this chapter. He is lighting a fire which will soon spread across the world. Remember Jesus said, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea in all, and in all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's not done with the Samaritans. But because these early, early believers were obedient and just shared the good news, good fruit comes out of that. The painful times turned into something good. These, these Samaritans receive much joy over the gospel and, the, and what the Spirit did through Philip in verse eight. It says that the entire city is joyful or filled with joy. The Greek word uh, used here for joy is kara, which means to rejoice because of grace. So it's a very biblical joy. It's not just sort of like a happy joy sort of thing, which is fantastic. As one author puts it, joy is the deep down sense of well being. abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. These Samaritans now sharing unity with the Jews are certainly aware of this. And it's all because of a great, horrible persecution. So, So as we boost into the rest of the chapter, we see God is powerfully at work through his Spirit. Bringing together all people to proclaim the gospel and further the good news of Jesus. That's me done. I will now hand over to Julian.
2: Thank you, James. That was awesome. So, hello, everyone. My name is Julian. I am a youth leader and a young adults leader at this church and I've been here for about a year and a half. I love this church and my great honor to be sharing the word with you today. So the title of my message is Holy Spirit Transforms Us From the Inside Out. So we've seen what the Holy Spirit, uh, that the Holy Spirit can transform us uh, and transform our perspective about persecution, just as James has shared. So let's turn to Acts 8, verse nine to 25. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went And was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these new believers and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on the people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. Wow. So Jesus, I just thank you that you're gonna speak through me and I pray that you would touch the hearts and the minds of everyone here and yeah, that they would receive what you wanna say in Jesus' name. So this passage shows us the big picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then these next few verses, then zoom in and give us a specific example of what the church was experiencing as it was spread out into the world. Luke, the author of Acts specifically draws us into the story about a guy named Simon. So who is Simon? So verses nine and 11 talk about Simon being a sorcerer and him claiming to be someone great. And it talks about that all the people looking to him as the great one, the power of God, and listening to him and being astounded by his magic. He used his sorcery and magic to gain status in the the Samaritan society and to draw the attention to himself. Verse 13 then says that Simon believed and was baptized. Now this is a really important point because from this point, he was a Christian. Verses 18 and 19 talk about Simon seeing the power of the Holy Spirit and then craving it for himself. Now this passage doesn't say what happened to the new believers as they received the baptism of Holy Spirit, but we can assume that something powerful took place because Simon wanted this power for himself. He even tried to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit for his own gain. His motives were completely selfish, which was just like before he was saved. So why was he behaving like this? He was a Christian, shouldn't he have changed? So Simon was not baptised in the Holy Spirit, but he was actually bound by a bitter root of jealousy. Peter rebuked Simon in verses 22 to 23. It says, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. And the Greek word here for bitterness is pekria. This means bitter goal, extreme wickedness, bitter hatred and one that I found really interesting, a bitter root that produces bitter fruit. Peter called Simon out as he could see the bitter root of jealousy and he could see his unrepented heart. He could say that Simon wanted the power of the Holy Spirit, but not the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is a problem and a clear trap for the early church. Jesus doesn't just want our hands, he wants our hearts. He won't baptise us in the Holy Spirit without complete repentance and surrender to him. And this is a clear example of what Dave has been talking about as we've been going through the book of Acts. That the Holy Spirit engages humanity in three distinct ways. He is with us as the agent of salvation, in us as assurance of salvation, and also comes upon us to bring transformation. That's with us, in us, and on us. So a person can believe in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, but still live in bondage because the Spirit hasn't come upon them to bring that transformation. Simon hadn't received the fullness of what God had for him because he had a bitter root in his soul and no repentance in his heart. His heart had not been transformed. So what's the moral of this story? God wants us to be free from a lifestyle of sin and bitterness. But how? How can we be free? This process begins with repentance and inviting Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Let's look into this further. So Peter and John were sent from Jerusalem to lay hands on the new believers to receive the baptism of Holy Spirit as these believers had only been baptized in the name of Jesus holy spirit then comes upon them in verses 14 and 17 and then if we look at verse 15 it says as soon as they arrived they prayed for these new believers to receive the holy spirit and notice how john immediately prayed uh, peter and john immediately prayed for the new believers to receive the holy spirit so why did they pray straight away How did they know that these new believers hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Obviously, it was important because they prayed so quickly for them. And obviously, there was a clear contrast between these new believers and the believers in Jerusalem. Which then leads us to the next obvious question, what is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And this is where people get really stuck. People tend to focus only on the ministry gifts that we see in Acts, earlier in Acts, that they spoke in tongues, prophesied, and moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. These gifts are part of the evidence, but we must not limit the evidence simply to the ministry gifts. In the context of this passage, the focus is on the difference between Simon and Philip. Both did powerful signs and wonders. But Philip had a pure and obedient heart before God. Simon had the opposite. He had a heart bound in bitterness and sin, seeking self promotion. This passage is showing us that one of the greatest evidences that the Holy Spirit has come upon a person is a transformed life. A transformed life is surrendered to a holy God, hating sin and daily being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. So we see that Holy Spirit leads us to repentance and also transforms us in repentance. Our identity is transformed. Love, joy, and peace become our normal. We naturally desire to share the gospel, as Caleb is going to talk more about in a couple of minutes. Our faith is set on fire, and we find freedom from the power of sin. Now, this passage really relates to me personally, as I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit for for selfish reasons, just like Simon did. When I was 16, I remember seeing my, my mom, my brother and my father receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I saw the freedom and the joy that they experienced and the transformation. I wanted this for myself. So I began to ask God uh, for that baptism. I remember being angry with God because He didn't answer my prayers quickly. I wanted Him to move in my life on my own timeline and in my own way. I wanted to be in control just like Simon did. Eventually, my heart changed, thankfully. I surrendered my will to God and received prayer at my old church. And I remember completely being overwhelmed by the love of God and the presence of God moving in my life. I remember my heart starting to be transformed and all this layers of different things coming off I remember saying, God, you're so real, God, you're so real. And I remember my faith going from only being in my head to also being in my heart. So what I learned from my testimony and what we can learn from this message is, being baptized in Holy Spirit is not for our own personal gain or self-promotion, but to bring transformation into our lives, that like Philip, we would live our lives surrendered to God in accordance to his will. We see that Simon had the opportunity to respond with repentance and surrender, but instead he wanted power and influence. This led to him being rebuked. And then we don't know what happened. We don't know if he eventually repented and changed or if he left the faith. So my question to all of us, including myself, is what will be our response? Will we want the power of the Holy Spirit for our own glory? Will we repent and turn from a life of being in control and let God be in control? Will we allow any bitter root of jealousy to be taken out of us? And will we surrender everything to Jesus and allow Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. Thank you, everyone.
0: Just getting organized. All right, hey everyone, I uh, hope you're all doing well. Um, didn't James and Julian do such a great job? It was good. It was good. Now I just got to bring it home. No pressure. All right. Um, my name's Caleb. Um, I'm, you've probably seen me around. I occasionally fill out, fill in on the sound desk back there. Um, but my home church is usually um, down at Hills Baptist Oldgate. Um, yeah. Woo. I was hoping I'd get a clap. Um, uh, but I do like to pop in and say hi to the Vadunnies every once in a while. Um, So anyway, we've just heard um, about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and how it transforms um, persecution and how it transforms us. Um, And I'm going to continue the story of Acts 8, um, where we'll look at how the Holy Spirit transforms our purpose. Um, But before I do, I do have a question to ask everyone, or two questions. Number one, who here finds evangelism easy? Hands up. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. And and who here finds evangelism difficult? Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, that's about the ratio I was expecting. So off, that was in my notes. So I'm glad it was right. Um, anyhow, the main the main point of the scripture I'll read in a moment is that we're not alone in our evangelism because the Holy Spirit is transforming our purpose. Aren't you glad we don't have to rely on ourselves to evangelize? That we have the Holy Spirit with us. Um. So there's also three main points I've got to touch on. Um, so let's go. So how Philip was open and obedient to the Holy Spirit, how he was confident in what he knew and was hungry for more, and that he knew the good news was for everyone. So I'm gonna start um, in Acts 8:26 uh, to 38. Um, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so did he not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began at that, with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and a eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. How good. Um, so, And I'm going to stop there, because the next verse... Um, I don't have the wisdom or knowledge to unpack because Philip is seemingly teleported away by the Holy Spirit. So if you've got questions about that, I'm sure Dave would be happy to answer them after the service, so not me. Um, But what an incredible story of evangelism. Um, I wanna take a moment to look back um, at the scripture and point out some of the incredible um, moments in which we can see God's plan at work um, through the Holy Spirit. I mean, straight away in verse 26, we see divine intervention when God sends an angel to tell Philip where to go. We see Philip straight away being open to the Holy Spirit. He could have very easily stayed where he was and kept performing miracles, but the Holy Spirit had other plans. Can you imagine if Philip tried to just just justify himself and stay where he was? You know, he could have said, oh, look at all this great work I'm doing here, you know, I'm just going to stay here and do that. Um, I don't know about you, but can, I, can you think of a time that you've disobeyed, disobeyed God's call? Because what you thought what you were doing was more important. Um, submitting to the Spirit takes humility, which Philip had. And if we look back at Simon the sorcerer, we can see how pride and selfishness doesn't connect with the Holy Spirit. Further on in the Scripture, it talks about who the Ethiopian is. He was an important guy and had lots of authority and power. His baptism most likely led to a lot more baptisms. We don't know the ramifications of inviting a friend to church or sharing the, um, the gospel with someone we, we don't know. But we all do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. We don't do it under our own might though. The Holy Spirit is the one preparing a way before us. So before you get scared of evangelism, know that the Holy Spirit is there preparing a way before you. For instance, the Ethiopian was already coming back from worshipping. So the Holy Spirit was already well at work before Philip even got into the picture. In verse 29, it plainly states the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go up to the chariot and stay near it. What I find interesting about this is that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell Philip go and evangelize to that person, you know. He gives a more general instruction. So when listening to this for the Spirit, don't always expect a step-by-step plan of attack. I know I can look back at times where I've seen the Spirit at work, and often it starts as something small, but God's always got something bigger planned. So just be prepared for something slightly vague sometimes. <laughs> we see the Holy Spirit at work again when the Ethiopian directly asked Philip to explain what he's reading. I mean, how often do you have someone come up to you and say, hey, can you tell me more about this Jesus guy? Like, that doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit, I don't think. Now, my favorite part of the scripture was what the Ethiopian was reading. Now, obviously, the Ethiopian was reading the Old Testament, mainly because the sequel wasn't out just yet. Um, But he was reading from Isaiah 53, which is one of the most prophetic and um, Old Testament scriptures that points directly to Jesus, the Redeemer of our sins. I hope you can see how powerful that is. Um, I always get excited when the Old Testament can point forward to the New Testament, as as well as pointing to Jesus directly. Um, But please have a read of Isaiah 53 in your own time. If I read it, we've got to go way over, so do that in your own time. Um, but I just think it's amazing that Ethiopian was so happened to be reading that scripture. I think we all know who's responsible for making that happen, right? That's not a coincidence. Now, there's so much more in the scripture I wanna point out. Um, like how they just came across a body of water in the desert. And look, I'm no geographer, but I don't think there's many, many places with water in the desert, right? Um but, so we've had a closer look at that scripture, and how does this relate to us? I want, want everyone to ponder what special skills Philip had that enabled him to evangelize so well. Now, I'll be honest, it's kind of a trick question, because I don't think Philip had anything super special going on. But before all you Philip lovers boo me off stage, um, Philip was an amazing evangelist, and um, Scholars actually refer to him as Philip the Evangelist. Um, But only because he followed a few simple yet fundamental things. And the note takers would probably already know what I'm about to say. But um, number one, he was open to the Holy Spirit and he was obedient to it as well. He was confident in what what he knew and was hungry for more. And thirdly, he understood that the good news was for everyone. The best thing Philip did was say yes to the Holy Spirit. He was open to what God was doing and was ready to do his work. Let me say that again, because I think it is really important. The best thing Philip did was say yes to the Holy Spirit. He was open to what God was doing and was ready to do his work. The other thing that Philip did was understand the word of God. So when the Ethiopian had questions, he had answers. Be confident in what you know. Now. Please don't let the fear of not knowing answers to questions um, dissuade you from sharing the gospel. Sometimes just saying, I'm not sure about that one, can I get back to you? That's an appropriate answer. And that also leaves you an opportunity to touch base with that person again. But hopefully, you don't have to say that for every question. Um, This scripture also encourages me um, to grow in my biblical understanding because if I'm ever faced with a situation that's even remotely similar to that, I want to know that I'm equipped to answer questions. Um, So please, yeah, read your Bible more, it's good. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so to continue to grow in your biblical understanding, so when you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, you can confidently share the gospel with anyone, which leads me into my next point. Philip was willing to share the gospel with anyone. Eunuchs at the time weren't allowed to have the same access to the church as a regular Jew, but Christ came and made salvation for everyone. So no one is too far gone for the grace of God. Don't let your own pride or judgment stand in the way of the Holy Spirit. So now I do think Philip was an amazing evangelist, but if I'm honest, I think that if God wanted to do the same thing through us, Um, that each and every one of us could have done it if we followed these fundamental principles of being open to the Holy Spirit and obedient to it, grow in our biblical knowledge and be confident in what you know and know that the good news is for everyone. Now, I asked everyone a question at the start and I'm going to finish with a slightly different question, but who feels more confidence to evangelize knowing the Holy Spirit has transformed you and is on your side? Yeah, good, good. If you did put your hand up, I would have been, you know, anyway, that's good. Um, Now, for a bit of a three-point sermon inception, I've got another three points. Um, Because if I could distill um, the message that James, Julian, and myself were trying to get across today, it would be that the Holy Spirit transforms persecution into proclamation. The Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out And the Holy Spirit transforms our purpose to serve God great commission. So I'm gonna invite the band back up um, and we're gonna sing one more song. Um, And as they're coming up, I just wanted to say that if you listen to this story and that you felt more like the Ethiopian and less like Philip, that's okay. Um, We all start our journey somewhere and making that decision to follow Christ Um, is the first step in being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So if you feel more like the Ethiopian, uh, after the service, there's got to be a time of prayer. So I really encourage you to make use of that. Um, We're also going to have some baptisms. So hopefully um, that will bring life into the story of what the Ethiopian experienced. So I really hope that as the baptisms are happening, reflect on the scripture and, and, and what that meant. Um, to Philip and the Ethiopian back then. Um, Yeah, I've just got to quickly close in in prayer and then I'll hand back to the band. Lord, I just, I thank you that through your Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. And I pray that as we go through our week, that we can reflect on this and know that with your help, that we we can accomplish your mission, Lord. I just pray that if people have heard this message and really connect with it, Lord, I pray that they would be confident to respond to it, Lord. Um, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.